Thank you so much for joining us today. God wants to use people like you to help build his kingdom. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to serve in the local church. If you want to get involved with College Park Church, visit collegeparkchurch.org and click on Get Involved. Also, if you'd like to help support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting collegeparkchurch.org to choose the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Happy Father's Day. On behalf of College Park and everyone here, we want to welcome you um, to College Park Church. More importantly, we just want to welcome the presence of God in this place and let them know that the true Father is welcome at any time, any place, anywhere when it comes to our life. Amen? Amen. As you make your way to be seated, can you just let five people know it's great to, lo- it's great to see you here today? Awesome. That pretty face of yours. We serve an amazing God. I'm very excited for today. Um, Father's, today's um, Father's Day is going to be a unique one for us, specifically. We're going to be going out um, to um, an apartment complex right after service here. Uh, we'll be meeting right after service at 12 o'clock in the annex, going over logistics and the plans on how we're going to love our, our community back to life. And what a, a great time to do it then on Father's Day to be able to love the fatherless. Amen? I said, what a great day to love people back to life on Father's Day. Amen. Yeah. Um, we want to welcome all our first and second and third time guests um, with us this morning. It's great for you to be with us today. We want to welcome everybody online watching right now. And for those of you who are viewing this next week or next month or next year, it's great that you have tuned in with us. Um, today is a very special day with a very special Father's Day message. Um, question, how many people here have a father? <laughs> I promise you that's not a trick question. Everyone, for the most part, maybe active or inactive, there has been a father that has taken the time in order for you to be here this morning. <laughs> in some shape, fashion, or form. But how many of you know when it comes to being raised by a father, being raised comes in so many packages and shapes? Amen? In fact, how children are raised today has changed in the last few decades. Can anybody attest to that? Can anybody attest to that? The way kids are raised today is so much different from how they were raised um, 10 years, especially 20 years ago. In fact, I just want to talk about some examples of how some kids were raised. Uh, Raise your hands. Um, if this pertains to you. If not, just look around and say, you're old and I'm young. <laughs> All right? How many of you, this pertains to you, you walk to and from school? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> um, how many of you dived off a high dive? Remember those? Okay. Dived off a high dive. Now, it's like you can't dive off a high dive or you will die, you know? Um, another one, played out in the neighborhood all day without a cell phone. And the only rule was you had to be home before it was dark or the streetlights came on. Come on, somebody. All right. All right. How many of you have ever stuck your head outside the window down the highway in order to see if your hair would just stay in a certain position? Or was that only me? That's probably why I lost all my hair. Right? How many of you ever rode on the back of a truck on the highway on a tailgate? Come on, somebody. Me and my cousins did that growing up, man. 
And it seems like it's a lot different um, day when it comes to parenting and fathering and, and mothering. Would you agree today is a different world? You know? Um, now, um, I, was at a, I was talking with a city official and how they're trying to remove playgrounds, um, playground equipment out of certain schools because they're afraid of lawsuits. Um, some camps, some schools are moving to gluten-free food. Gluten-free food because they're afraid five fruits would kill you. Um, um, in fact, there was one teacher that I was talking to a while back that they're no longer allowed to use red pens because they're afraid that red pens will affect the mindset of a young kid and to think that life is negative because red means negative. Isn't that crazy? Like, like here's the kicker, and I know some of you have heard me vent about this a lot um, if you've been um, at College Park any significant amount of time, and that is when it comes to sports, whether you suck, everyone gets a trophy. It's like, if you suck, but you stayed, you get a trophy. That is the biggest amount of hogwash I've ever seen in my life. If you don't win, you don't get a trophy. Poor blank. I don't want my kids to act like a success when they have been a failure. Because here's the thing that I believe when it comes to life. I believe failure is one of the greatest ingredients in order for you to live a successful life. Because of the way we are protecting our kids from failing, kids today are afraid to do things that some of us older people know are normal and simple. We live in a day and time because I've talked with graduates, I've talked with young people. There are people who now, because of being afraid of failure because of a father, people who have pretty much allowed their kids to live in a bubble, now they don't even know how to fill an application. They're afraid to take an interview. They're afraid to go to the bank by themselves to get a loan. They're afraid to do all sorts of simple, normal things. Now we live in a time where when I was, I don't know if my generation was the last generation, but everybody wanted to drive. Everybody wanted to get a car. Everybody wanted to get a job and be able to take responsibility and live on their own. And now we find a generation that doesn't want to drive, doesn't want to get a job, and wants to live home all day long. We live in a time where things have changed, and we ask ourselves why. We haven't given them the gift of failure, which will actually propel them forward. And if they're afraid to try something, then they won't succeed at what matters most. If they're afraid to try something, they're are not able to succeed and to be able to live a life of significance and to be able to acquire what matters most. Psalms 112 verses 4 through 6, um, verses 1 through 4, and we'll jump to verse 6. It says this, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteousness. Next verse. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Does that sound like a generation of today? 
Maybe because it's not a generation that has been taught to obey God's commands today. Because people, at least youth, this generation, will always obey what they see, not what they hear. They follow how they are led by the people that they see living around them than just what they hear. And this morning, I just want to talk about three things. But before I talk about three things, I want to talk about success when it comes to society versus success when it comes to being a follower of Christ. Success when it comes to society. This is what society says. Society says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. It's what I hear a lot these days. That's what I hear at certain clubs uh, around Greenville and downtown. This is what I hear at certain PTA meetings with certain family members and friends. This is what I hear from some, some church members over the course of eight years being here at Greenville. Society says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Well, in the business world, the business world, they don't want to raise, they don't want to hire well-rounded kids. They don't want to have well-rounded employees. And in fact, as a pastor, I don't want to hire well-rounded staff. It's, it goes back to the adage, jack of all trades, but what? Master of none. I don't want somebody okay in everything. I want somebody who's great as, at, at least in one to three specific areas in ministry. I want somebody who's great, not somebody who's good. I want someone who will ex excel. I don't want somebody who's mediocre and average. I want somebody who has tenacity in one or two things than who's just normal in just a few. And in the world, in the church world today, especially within when the confines of a church family, we rather have well-rounded instead of great kids. And you see, and then the next thing is well-educated. Now, I'm all about education. I'm pushing some of our young people into education and higher education, going from high school into um, collegiate, from collegiate to, man, to the workforce and to the work area to be contributing citizens. But here's the thing about well-educated people. We can raise well-educated students, but if they're not well-off in their life with God, none of that education matters. Can we be honest? They can have all A's, magna cum laude, and be able to go off to a great college. But if they fail, if we fail at raising them to be able to be saved in their soul. We want them to succeed in life, but fail at their soul. Education doesn't matter. Because your soul means more than success when it comes to education. When it comes to living happy kids, Jesus didn't say, be happy as I am happy. He said, be holy as I am holy. We live in a time where we want to teach our kids to be happy, but we don't know how to raise kids who are connected at loving Jesus with their whole life, with their whole heart, in order to live a life that is holy. we rather them be well-rounded instead of being great at a few things. We rather them be educated when it comes to higher education than educated in the word of God and how he thinks. We rather people be happy in life but not holy when it comes to a lifestyle before Christ. Matthew chapter 16, 26 says this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says this. Do y'all have that? Can y'all let Chris know you love him this morning? He's amazing, man. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says this. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than 
your soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Even though that's how society views success, I want to give you another viewpoint of what it really means to live a success as a follower of Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't look at success as being well-rounded. We shouldn't look at, at success as being well-educated. We shouldn't look at success as being happy, even though those are good things, not necessarily bad things. Can I just say that this morning? When it comes to success as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to unleash people-minded, Christ-centered world changers. We are called to unleash into this world people-minded, Christ-centered, world changers. That is what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. We live in a day where success is screaming what society, or society is screaming what success looks like. But I wonder, are there any followers of Christ willing to scream what it looks like to be successful as you follow Christ? Because what are we going to expose them to, church? Fathers, how are you going to raise our sons? How are we going to raise our daughters? What we realize, and what you must realize, is what we expose our children to helps determine what they become. Can I just say that again? What we expose our children to helps determine what they become. We wonder why. Why are our children becoming this? It's because this is what they've been exposed to. I say this to our staff. I say this to um, the people I mentor. The loudest voice wins. The loudest voice wins. Why did this person turn out this way? And why did she have to go and do that? Why did he have to become like this? Because the loudest voice wins. Just because you spoke one time doesn't mean that one time is going to last a lifetime. When you allow them to be exposed to sin, when you allow them to be exposed in a certain environment that creates darkness within, the loudest voice will always win. That's why, you know, we just got over seven days or I forget how many days of senior camp. We just got back yesterday. My wife averaged 25 hours of sleep within the time that we were at senior camp with knucklehead teenagers that didn't want to sleep. How many of you know, as we get older, we need more sleep? Hello. My hair shows it. I need sleep. I'm starting to get gray hairs because I'm not getting enough sleep. I need sleep. Asian bald-headed men need sleep. And so what ends up happening is here we are at camp. And this is the first year at Camp Agape for the Church of God of Prophecy where we, um, our camp coordinator, Mandy McLaughlin, connected with, a, with um, she connected with DSS. And we were, and so this year, for the first time, they sent kids from group homes, from DSS, people who never seen a Bible, people who have never walked into church, people who have never been exposed to the love of God. You know what was funny? While I was talking to people and we were expressing this amazing harvest field that we were going to have at camp, people started freaking out. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. How's, how are they going to react? And how are they, you know, what's their attitude going to be like? I'm like, it's going to be crap. I expect sheep to act like sheep. I expect dogs to act like a dog. I expect ducks to quack like a duck. Why? Because that's who they are. I expect a sinner to act like a sinner. And what better place for a sinner to be than in the light, than a camp surrounded by light? Come on. This is the best place for them to be. Now, can I just, can I just be honest with you? 
Man, we felt stupid. We felt silly the first two days trying to have a conversation at breakfast, trying to have a conversation in class, trying to engage with them on the basketball court, trying to be able to have a conversation with them at dinner. And you know what? They just look at us like, whatever. But by the end of camp, one of those people from DSS became the honor camper. One of the other, we, had, we were struggling. Who do we give the honor camper role with? Honor camper is this, a well-rounded, constantly engaged, serving teachers and serving their friends within camp. With the, by the end of the week, we were wanting, we were fighting, who do we give the honor camper to? And all the people that we, get were, that we were wanting to give it to were kids from DSS. Not our church kids, but the ones everyone feared. The ones everybody thought would give the biggest problem. The one everybody thought would have the, the biggest, the, the, at least the biggest negative response. But those are the best people to love back to life. Because those are the people, if they can see the, see, people aren't rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting religion. They're not rejecting Christ, they're rejecting a hypo, a, this hypocritical form of Christ within the local church. But if we can be the hands and feet and have a genuine compassion and love for Jesus, they will run from the hours and bowers and come back home. Because there is no hope like the hope of Jesus. And that hope is found within his local church. People who say, you know what? I want to expose my life to the gospel. And after I expose my life to the gospel, I'm going to expose my life to the world. Because I can't help but tell people how good and how great my God is. Religions fail me. Churches have failed me. Pastors and friends and teachers have failed me. But there is one constant in this world, and his name is Jesus. And when we expose people to him, we will change the world. Because what we expose our children to helps determine what they become. Proverbs chapter 20, or Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. And the New Living Translation, for those of you who have your Bible, it'll be up on the big Bible up here. But Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says this. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. You are a product of your environment. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. You can dream everything you want to be in God. You can desire everything you want to be when it comes to God's word. But if you allow your life to be placed in the wrong environment, that is what you will become, church. Point blank. Point blank. Somebody who's trying not to be an alcoholic, how foolish would it be if all he hung out with was people who was alcoholic? Of course you're going to fall into that mess. Men. For those of you who are fathers trying to overcome pornography and you don't want your sons or your daughters or your wife to be exposed to that, how foolish would it be to try to overcome pornography? But every show you watch, every movie you go to, every image you look at has a lustful seed to it. How foolish. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools. Get in with fools. Get in an environment where fools thrive and get in trouble. 
But when you walk with the wise, when you walk with the upright, when you walk with the righteous, you will be wealthy in life. You'll be wealthy in mind. More importantly, you will be wealthy in spirit according to Psalms. Three things that I want to talk to you about when it comes to being exposed. Number one, if, for those of you who are taking notes, for those of you who are wanting to be uh, world changers, remember, society says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. But success, when it comes to followers of Christ, we are called to unleash people-minded, Christ-centered world changers. And if that is you, I want to give you three things in order to help you fathers as you raise kids and as you are make an impact into the world today. Number one, someone shot number one. Number one, expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. John chapter 17, verse 3, it says this. John chapter 17, verse 3, it says this. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. This is the way to eternal life, to know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ, the one who sent to earth. How do we get people to follow Christ, to fall in love with Christ, and to serve Christ. We expose them to the joy of knowing God so much personally. We don't want them to personally know a religion because a religion's dead. We don't want them to know a religion because a religion is nothing more than a list of rules of do's and don'ts. We want them to fall in love with God personally. And how do we do that? By getting connected with them relationally. Because relationship is what breeds life. When a man and woman gets into a relationship, what happens? They make life. Kids come out. I got three kids to prove it. When me and my wife got together, next thing you know, whoop, there it was, twin boys. 14 months later, there comes a girl. Why? Because of our relationship. Can I be honest? I love it. Any men know what I'm talking about? Hello. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a joy when you personally have a relationship. I wonder, do people see your personal relationship with Jesus just like they see your personal relationship with your wife, like they see your personal relationship with your boat, like they see your personal relationship with extracurricular activities, like they see your personal relationship with Clemson Tigers? Do they see your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Love your boat. Love your football. Love your sports. But do they see you love Jesus? Anybody going to help me this morning? Do they see you worshiping God? Do they see you praying to God? Do they see you loving people back to life? Because what you ex are exposed to determines what they become. Dream what you want them to become. Argue and force down their throat what they become. You can force things down their throat, and, but until they see you living it from your heart, none of that matters what you say. They want to see it breathing and living from your heart. How do we do that? By exposing them to the joy of knowing God personally. One of the ways that I've done that in my relationship with my kids and my wife is I, this is just what I do, I give credit to every blessing that God gives me because the Bible says every good thing comes from God. Every good thing comes from God. I remember we were eating pizza one day, it was a, and it was, it was bro day, and then we went to Walmart, and I, get, I let them get their own specific ice cream. And I was like, man, look how amazing God's blessings are. 
I remember we were going and um, we were going to Ross and um, they, they saw a Nerf gun they wanted. And they're like, Dad, can I get it? And they got it. I'm like, look how amazing God's blessings are. I turned every good thing and I direct it back to God. Every good thing and I direct it back to him. To the point where, you know what? I don't, I don't want to force prayer down my kid's throat. But I want them to see how good and how amazing his blessings are by how I live in front of their life. And so, like the video, when we're watching it, the dad's praying, the kid comes and watches him, and it impacts her life. My kids, even last night, being away from them for six to seven days, I went to tuck in the bed. I was so tired, y'all. Me and my wife, we were struggling, trying to be able to just drive from Columbia back to Greenville off 25 hours of sleep for seven days, and it's like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. I just want to tuck them in the bed, and I just want to get back in the bed, and I just want to go to sleep and come and meet with you this morning. But as I tuck them in the bed, Judah says, Dad, will you lay hands on me and pray for me? Because that's what we do. I'll lay hands on my son, and I'll say, God, I'll ask you to bless him, that he will walk in the light and not in the darkness, that his heart will be more passionate than me, that his love will be greater than me, and that, God, he will be a greater witness than I have ever been. And let it be done in him with boldness and courage within. And I'll do, and I'll go to Gavin, and then I'll go to Gracie, and I'll hold Gracie, and I'll pray the same exact prayer to them. And now, even though it's seven days gone, even though seven days daddy hasn't been able to physically be there and lay hands on them, now that daddy's there, daddy, would you pray on for me? How can I let go? How can I just leave? How can I just be simple-minded and selfish inside and say, let me go to sleep? No, I'm going to lay my hands on you, son. In fact, come here. I want to hold you, boy. And I pray. Why? Because whatever you expose them to determines what they become. And if we don't expose them to prayer, if we don't expose them to the things of God, how in the world would they be exposed to loving him personally if they don't see us loving him intentionally? Do you realize that when it comes to religion, religion leads to rebellion? Why are all our kids within the local church rebelling? It's because it's not a relationship, it's a religion. We keep forcing them to do things, forcing them to live a certain way, forcing them to do things, forcing them to connect to this, forcing them to go here, forcing them to do that. When if they could just see daddy and mommy love God intimately, and what, why? Because what you expose them determines what they become. Why do I need to expose them to prayer? Why do I need to expose them to God's word? Why do I need to expose them to gratitude? Why do I need to expose them? The next generation, if you don't have it, they're not going to want it. When it comes to the next generation, if they don't see you have it, they're not going to want it. They only want what you want. They only want to go where you want to go. They only want to do what you really, not what you say, but what you really want to do. But if we expose them to the joy of knowing God personally, we will raise up successful followers of Christ that are people-minded, Christ-centered, world changers. Number one, expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Number two, as I close, expose them to the presence and power of God in 
his church. Expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. One of the worst things we can ever do, fathers, in raising our kids, one of the worst phrases that we could ever say from our lips. You want to go to church today or not? The thing is, we don't go to church. We are the church. Church is not a portion of their life. Church should be their whole life. Because you don't go to it. You are it. You are it. Someone shout, I am the church. Someone shout, I am the church. We need to understand, anytime you say you don't want to go to church this weekend, that's the most dangerous thing you can say. It's raining outside, we're not going to church. It's too nice outside, we're not going to church. We had a late, we had a late game last night, we're not going to church. We have a game next week, we're not going to church. I don't, I'm not feeling real well today, we're not going to church. If you overrule church for the other things, but never overrule other things for the church, you're sending a message. That church is optional and not absolute. You see, we know this to be true in life. We don't, we don't say, do, do you want to go to school today? Do you want to do your homework? It's not optional when it comes to being well-educated. We say things like, you know, do you want to be happy? No, we want our kids to be happy. Do you want to be great? We want our kids to be involved in so many things. But that's how, that's how society views success. Raising well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. That's not the church. That's not the church. As, the, as God's church, this is how we view success. We want to raise and we want to unleash and we want to send forth, especially in the next few hours, we want to unleash on that government-assisted complex, people-minded, Christ-centered, world changers that will love people back to life, to bring people far from God close to him. Does anybody believe that except me in this house? Or are we a bunch of people who are, you know what? We want success like society. No, I want to view success like the Savior. And I want to offer my body as a living sacrifice. I don't want to live selfishly, but I want to live sacrificially. I don't want to live my life where my kids see daddy only getting what he wants, only doing what he wants, only going where he wants. But I want my kids to see daddy loving God with all his heart, loving God with all his mind, loving God with all his strength. That when they grow up, that what I import in them, they will not depart from, but that they will be greater than the, their father and other generations before them. Why? Because they were exposed to the joy of knowing God personally. They were exposed to the presence and power of God in his church. They recognized that church isn't optional, it's absolute. I don't force my kids to go to church. I tell them, that's where I'm going today. 
And if you want to stay home by yourself, you can, but that's where I'm going. I don't want to stay home by myself. <laughs> of course, that eight and nine-year-old are going to say that. You know what I mean? Now my kids, Gavin, man, all he loves is worship music now. I was listening to um, Lecrae, Christian rap artist, just here recently, like in the last month or two. My son's like, what is that trash? Because all he, all he listens to is like worship style music. That's all he loves now. And Southern Gospel. <laughs> he loves Southern Gospel. God of heaven, he loves Southern Gospel. I don't even know the song. Softly tender, Jesus is calling. Calling all sinners, come home. What's the name of that song? Y'all know? Come home. Softly tender. That's his favorite jam right there. Has it on his iPod right now. Listens, listens to it like almost every other day. No lie. No lie. That's my son. I don't force stuff on him. I want them to fall in love with him. And how do they fall in love? By seeing daddy and mommy love him personally. By exposing them. How do, they, how do we raise this next generation, fathers? By exposing them to the presence and power of God in this church. Gracie, now one of our favorite things now is wanting to be on the worship team in kids' church. Wanting to lead on the front line. Because I always tell her, you want to be a shepherd or you want to be a sheep? Sheep are shallow, but shepherds are the ones who have dedicated their life to God. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a follower? Do you want to be a leader, Gracie? What do you want to be? Do you want to be insignificant or do you want to live a life of significance? What do you want to be, Gracie? Trying to expose them to what it really means to live in the power of God, in the presence of God. But that's never going to happen if you constantly overrule church for other things. Can we... I, maybe, maybe I'm biased, but I believe that we have an amazing church. I believe our youth ministry is phenomenal. I believe our kids' ministry is phenomenal. I love our worship team, and they're phenomenal. We have an amazing media team. We have an amazing guest services. We have an amazing care team, an amazing women's leader, men's ministry. We have an amazing church here. Why in the world do I want to be silent and not want to be involved in something that God is doing that is amazing? Why, do I want to, why in the world do I want to be silent? Why in the world do I want to be disconnected? Why in the world do I just want to come and just be a spectator? No, I want to be a participator in order for my kids to see the presence and power of God's local church. And they'll never want to be a part of it. If they don't see you living and wanting it. Number one, expose them to the joy of knowing God personally. Expose them to the presence and power of God in his church. And the last but not least, number three, expose them to the thrill of being used by God. Expose them to the thrill and excitement and amazement of being used by him. I'll never forget the first time I recognized the thrill of serving God was when I was in Ohio. And some of you would know it, some of you might not, but I had the privilege by the grace of God to get Ubered from the airport to my hotel room. And from there, I met this Muslim. And by the time we left um, the airport there in Akron, Ohio, and got to my hotel, 
He's in tears, falling in love with Jesus and gives his life over to him. An amazing testimony. When I came home, thank you. That's good, but, he, but here's where it gets real. Here's where it gets really, really rich. Is when I come home and Gavin and Gracie and Judah are like, Dad, what'd you get me? Because every, every time me and Jennifer go anywhere, we always get them something. And so we get back. <laughs> That's awesome. I get back. They're like, Dad, what'd you get me? I got you an amazing story. They're like, what happened? I was like, I was in an Uber before I even got to the conference. And this guy, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's Muslim. I was talking to him. Judah Gavin. And next thing you know, he was in tears. And he gave his life to Jesus because I was telling him about what God did on the cross and how he nailed all his sin because he loved him so much with it. I don't know how many people they have told that testimony to in their school. In their school. We were talking last night because I was talking, one of the parts of my prayers, like, God, be a witness. Be a powerful witness. He's like, Dad, I forgot to tell her on the last day of school. I, I don't want to say his, this kid's name, but this person is a, um, their family is a practicing Buddhist. Practicing, they practice and that's what they that's what they do. I was telling him about Jesus and how even though he doesn't know Jesus, my daddy was talking to somebody who didn't know Jesus, now he loves Jesus. And the same could happen to you. <laughs> and so the kid's name, I'm just going to say Bob <laughs> for now because I love the name Bob because I love Bob. <laughs> my son exposed him because of something that I exposed him to, to the cross an eight-year-old kid is telling this kid whose parents are practicing Buddhists about the cross and the reason why God did it to send his son to die on it is because Jesus loves him. And I was like, so what did, so, what did Bob think about that? <laughs> he said, Judah, can, you, can we pray for my mom and my dad? That they will hear him like you telling me? <laughs> because of what daddy exposed him to. Because of how daddy lived it personally and relationally and intently. And how daddy shows them that there is no thrill, no amazement than serving God. There's nothing greater there's no higher calling. There's no greater thing. And here they are, giving their life to Jesus. How do we change the next generation? By not just listening about people doing it, but by making a conscious decision, a constant choice, right here, right now. God, I don't know how, I don't know when, but I make this decision today. I'm going to expose them to it. How? I'm going to live it. I'm just going to live it. Well, how do we do it? By just loving people personally. Someone shout, love them personally. Shout, love them relationally. Shout, love them now. And if you do that,
we will raise the next generation that are people-minded, Christ-centered, world changers all across this world as we expose them to the only hope that can change their life forever. And his name is Jesus. Can somebody shout the name of Jesus? That is our call. That is our purpose. More importantly, that is our passion. And until God breaks the sky, we will keep eating, we will keep living, we will keep loving, we will keep sending people to love people back to life. We will not force them, we will expose them. We will not shove it down their throat, we will show them how we're living it from our life and from our heart. We will be fully devoted followers of Christ by exposing them to the living Christ. Can somebody give God praise in this house today? God, I pray, God, over this congregation right now, God, that we will not just come to an altar and pray, but that we will make an altar call as we live this place, sacrificing our pride, sacrificing our selfishness, sacrificing, God, our ego and our personalities at your feet, and then allow your passion of the cross to take everything out of our life that isn't centered in you today in order for others to see us live for you right now. I pray that for every person, God, that is experiencing fear and choosing you, fear and witnessing for you, that we will have more fear, God, of them going to hell. We would have more fear, God, of them living life alone that we would have more fear of what they're doing all by themselves and allow our life to be a living sacrifice for the lost each and every day. 